You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Bob, and we're looking today at probably uh, the question that gets more traction than any other question in the series, or the question that in many ways is is very much troubling to many people, and raising the question, is Jesus really the only way? Uh, What an audacious claim. We live in a global community. We live in a in a community, uh, a world, a very small world many, in many ways, where cultures uh, clash. Uh, we're very much aware of various types of religions and people who are not religious at all. We're very much aware that uh, some people who are Christians don't nearly act like Christ <laughs> as much as some people who aren't Christians. And so what an audacious claim or suggestion that Jesus is the only way. About a month ago, Susan and I went to see uh, the movie Crazy Rich Asians. How many of you have seen that movie? Guys, for romantic movies, it's not bad. You can, uh, you can survive that one. You can sit through that one. And in the movie, I'm amazed at my ignorance. The movie exposes to me my ignorance about Singapore and uh, Malaysia and just in general. Uh, One of my favorite lines in the movie is said by uh, the character, uh, Ken Chung's character, who uh, plays this crazy dad, and and he says to his kids, eat up, kids, there's a lot of starving children in America. (laughs) How many of you have said that or heard that? from your own parents about Chinese kids. So we carry with us all kinds of prejudice and bias. And if Christianity is a white man's religion, then it really is the wrong deal altogether. But I wonder if so many things can be true and relative in the world. And yet there also is space for the prevailing truth. And the audacious claim that Jesus is the only way is not made by me. It's made by Him. And that's not just only what he said about himself. Going to be the resurrection and the life. 
declaring to be the bread of life, declaring to be everything that he claims to be. I don't know if this microphone's on or not. Pardon me? It's on. Good. So what I want us to do today is to take a look at some Scripture together from John chapter 14. And I would love it if you would uh, find this Scripture on your own electronic device or in the Pew Bible um, because I just think it's so important to get a feel for Scripture. And sometimes we put it up, uh, we put it on the screen, we make it too easy. So I'd like to, to look at some Scripture with you. And as we do this in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, here's the deal. We're, we're jumping into the middle of a conversation. We're jumping into the middle of a conversation which Jesus is having with his 12 disciples. Now, Jesus had many disciples, men and women. Uh, people of various cultures became his followers and his disciples in three years. But there were the 12. There was the primary 12 guys that they hung out with intensely for three years. And he is with them for the final time, that final night. They've enjoyed the Passover meal, the Last Supper together. And in the midst of the, of the table conversation where Jesus is having with the guys, he's already told them that they're going to betray him. He's already told them that they're going to deny him. And so it's a real deal. It's a real faith struggle. It's a real faith crisis that, that they're in right now in the midst of this conversation that we join, chapter 14, verse 1. In the midst of all this, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Now that's going to be a common theme throughout these verses of Scripture. Jesus is continuously making the connection between him, the Father, and himself. It's as if Jesus is saying there is no distinction between the Father and me. What, what a faith claim. What an audacious thing to say. And he goes on to say, my father's house has plenty of room. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, Jesus, in these verses of Scripture, is taking a slice right out of the everyday culture. Because in that culture, marriages were basically set up by parents. When I was in my 20s and I was searching for my life's mate, I was really glad my parents were not setting up who I was going to marry. When my children, particularly my daughter, was in her 20s looking for her life's mate, I wish I would have been more in charge, but I really like the outcome. I just want to say I really <laughs> like the outcome. I was worried for a while. 
In the days of Jesus, a man would come to a woman and they would enter a legal contract binding them and binding families together. And the contract said, in this year of betrothal, I am going away. And I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a room in my father's house. So generations live with generations. And so he's going to go away. He's building the house. And what's she doing? In the culture of the day, she was preparing herself to be a pure and holy bride. And in that year, they're apart. And the man is preparing the room for the father's house. And then at the end of the year, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. And they would live generationally. Several different generations in one house. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, I'm going away. I'm going away to my father's house. And while I'm away, I want you to be preparing yourself as a bride is adorned for her husband. Jesus is away right now. Church, how much are we right now preparing ourselves to be a holy bride adorned for our returning spouse? The Father's house is a real place. It's a real physical place. It's like I live at 2948 East Lark. That's my address. That's my home address. That's my house. Do I feel just as strongly that I have another house? I have a heavenly home that is waiting for me. And do I know the way to that place? Now let's, let's read on, beginning at verse 5. Thomas is totally bewildered about all this. <laughs> and so Thomas, <clears throat> chapter 14, verse 5, says this. Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? I don't know the address, God. Can't find it on my GPS anywhere. And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is saying, I'm it. You got me. You got the Father. And the way is not just a path. It's not that Jesus is trying to be exclusive here. 
Jesus is being very invitational. And the way, my friends, to God, the way to the Father isn't believing in certain precepts or, or just principles or believing all the right things. God so loved the world, he sent his only son that we may not perish and have eternal life. God didn't send a precept. And he didn't send a principle, he sent a person. He sent us Jesus. And he's saying... I'm that person, I'm that way, I'm that truth. I'm the embodiment of all this. And when you and I try to minimize Jesus, like we might minimize something on our, on our screen, when we try to play Jesus small, that doesn't help anybody. So Jesus declares who he is. He claims to be God. And we believe in this God or we don't. This Jewish man who lived in an obscure village, who came out of obscurity at the age of 30 and works miracles and healings and casts out demons and shows us the kingdom and gives us the teaching and makes all these declarations about himself and then is crucified and then he goes to hell and back to preach in the place of the dead and then he's resurrected from the dead and he sends to the Father. It's quite an audacious claim. It's quite an audacious story. But one thing is clear. We can't pick and choose this. We can't do the cafeteria plan. We can't choose, I'm going to take this part of Jesus or that part of Jesus or I'm going to minimize him and make him just a good moral teacher and bring him down to the level of Confucius or Gandhi or anybody else. Jesus did not give us that option. And every person has to decide who Jesus is for them. So in the midst of this, Philip, <laughs> Philip speaks up, one of the twelve, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So, okay, you're saying you're the way to the Father, you're the way to God, show us the Father, and that'll, that'll be good, we'll, we'll be good to go. And Jesus says, answers, and this is where I feel like Jesus is probably asking this question, not in a disgusted way but in a really, uh, in a spirit of disappointment and hurt. He says, don't, don't you know me, Philip? Sometimes I think God says to me, don't, don't you know me, Bob? It's not about just believing in a God. or It's not just even believing that Jesus is God. It's believing in Jesus. It's believing in the character of God. It's believing. Don't, don't you know me, Bob? Don't you know me, church? Don't you know me out there on Monday and 
Tuesday and Wednesday. Don't you know me? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after we've been among you, I've been among you for such a long time. We've hung out together for three years. Don't you really know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Believe me when I say to you that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So what do we make of all this? I want to just throw out some questions for us this morning on the meaning of this and how this has application to our lives and how we might live. So one faith question is, is, is Jesus our only ticket to heaven? I don't think Jesus would like that question. (laughs) I've heard it many times over the years, or is Jesus my ticket in the sense of, is he my transaction? Can I just believe the right thing and, and, and then I make it in? Where heaven is not simply just that physical place, but it is a spiritual place in our hearts. And later Jesus says, in this same chapter, uh, in the same discussion in John 14, he says, the Father and I are going to make our home in your hearts. So the Father's house is a physical place awaiting us, but it's also a spiritual place in our hearts. And so if we, if we reduce Jesus to being a ticket to heaven, we miss the whole point. It's not about a transaction, it's a transformation. Do we have Jesus and the Father in our hearts now? If we do, we'll go to the Father's house then. If we don't have Jesus and the Father in our hearts now, we're not going to find our way then. Is it audacious to say that Jesus is the only way? Well, absolutely. It's a ridiculous, audacious claim. And yet he is the one that makes it. Not I. Classic, traditional Christian faith says it. What does this mean that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're screwed? I asked Taylor Likes if it was okay if I asked it just that way, and he said yes. I would say, friends, uh, absolutely we're screwed. And, And I would say, as a culture and a people and a society and what's going on right now in America, is that we're screwed. And I'm asking God to give me the grace to speak to this. And I'm going to ask you to give me a lot of grace as I try to speak to uh, the really hot potato in, in the room, in our culture, this week, 
regarding Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh. And what I'm going to suggest to you that we are living in a culture and in a way in a time where our culture is setting up false dichotomies. False dichotomies that separate people from people and grace from truth. And I hope I can say this in a way that I want to intend to say it, but my understanding right now, and this is so much more than Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh. This is so much more than whatever happens in this situation. But the way that the lines are drawn and the way in which the world seems to be working is this. I have to choose for a sister or a daughter or a granddaughter of mine to grow up in a world where if she's sexually assaulted, she's not valued or heard or her story is not given serious hearing. Or I have to live in a world where a brother, a son, a grandson is going to be guilty because of a claim or an allegation set against him. And I refuse and I reject both those premises. I say I cannot, I cannot choose one over the other. And our politics and our cultures is telling us that we got to choose And I'm saying that Jesus opens up a whole new way. And that in Jesus there is fullness of grace and truth. I'm saying in Jesus no one, no one gets off the hook. I'm saying in Jesus sin is not minimized. I'm also saying that there is no sin of our youth that God cannot forgive and redeem. I refuse to jump into the ploys of the devil. I refuse this culture's dichotomy of false versus truth. And I need Jesus. This church needs Jesus. This community needs Jesus. This country especially needs Jesus. We are growing up in a time where most children in this country will not believe in any particular faith. And too many of us have come into the culture believing in Christianity but not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we realize that we are screwed without Jesus, there is hope for us. What about those people who haven't heard of Jesus? 
I believe in a just and merciful God who will sort everything out. I don't have to figure out. I don't have to figure out the destiny of people that have never heard of Jesus. I do know he went to the place of death. I know that he graciously opens up himself to everybody. And I believe in a God that is just and fair. But that does not mean I will minimize and bring Jesus down to every other level. And not declare him the unique savior of the world. That I will not do. And I hope you won't either. One more question then. One more question then. What about you? Where are you in all this? Are you on the way? Because this is what it really gets down to. Am, am I on the way? Have I come into faith and relationship with Jesus Christ? There may be some here today that are skeptics and, and, and you need to do research and, and you just don't know. And I get that. But I suspect there are some people who have a sense in their spirit that this guy, this Jesus is everything he claimed to be. You just know that you know that you know. And if that is you, then Jesus is calling you. Don't you know me? Aren't you ready to jump in? There's all kinds of different excuses. One of the great uh, classics of C.S. Lewis is The Great Divorce, and he tells a story about this bus trip to, through hell into heaven. And there's this narrator in the story, and in the story uh, he, he has this spirit that meets other spirits along the way. And one spirit that he meets is a bishop bishop of the church and the spirit who's, uh, who's gone on and is calling all these other people moralists or intellectualist people or hedonists he's, he's calling various people to leave their life of sin their life of without God and, and just come on ahead get on the bus and come to heaven but there's a bishop of the church who's been a professor and his God is the God of Continuous learning. His God is the God of, of always wanting to hear more, but never arriving at any particular truth. His God is the God of mocking anyone that believes there can be a final answer. And in the midst of the conversation, the religious leader, the bishop, the religious professor refuses to get on the bus because he's got an important lecture to give next Tuesday. I don't know what it is that may be keeping you from getting on the bus. But there are mindsets that need to be demolished. Strongholds that need to be cut down that sets themselves up against the knowledge of God. 
You've got yours, and I've got mine. So the other morning, I'm playing with my grandson, Orrin. We're playing baseball. I'm pitching. He's hitting. Orrin looks up and says, Papa, there's the moon. It was about 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that is the moon. And I said, look behind you, Orrin. There's the sun. Yeah, that's the sun. The moon and the sun are up at the same time. It's quite an observation. So Orrin just deduces then at night, the sun and the moon are also up at the same time. I said, no, Orrin, they're, they're not. And he says, yes, they are. And I say, no, for the, there to be night, the sun has to be down. No, it doesn't. So I just drop it because I'm not going anywhere. 30 minutes later, we're playing Lincoln Logs. And I say to Orrin, Orrin, for you to be able to go home now, you have to put up the Lincoln Logs. That's the deal. No, that's not the deal. Yes, that's the deal. No, that's not the deal. Orrin, I'm going to count to three. And that's going to be the deal. I don't even have to count to one. He starts putting the Lincoln Logs up. I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> if he hadn't have. There will come a day when that's going to happen. We have our mindsets. And we say, this is the deal. This is the deal. This is the deal. And Jesus is saying, I'm the package deal. I'm the full package. You want me? You got me. I'm all in. How about you?